What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement. And hopefully one day soon, we will make that hopefully a uh, reality only by acting. But one day soon, of course, a true proletarian revolution. So if this is uh, your first time stopping by, I'd like to say thank you so much. I am your host, Josh. Welcome to the show. Um, I hope you enjoy it uh, because, to be honest, uh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of great shows out there, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope the shit that I talk about is not only uh, just plainly entertaining, but also informational educational, agitational, and makes you want to organize. So anyways, today we got a few things that I want to hit on. Um, I'm going to try to do some stuff up top, kind of news style, kind of just hit on the things that are happening uh, that I've heard about, that I've, you know, maybe learned a little bit about. And then I'm going to go into a kind of in-depth analysis of kind of... um, what this all really seems to mean, at least in my head. So for whatever that's worth to you, if you want to hear about that, stay tuned. Uh, But first and foremost, before I do that, I'm going to talk about the shows in which I got this information from, because I really do believe in the importance of passing on uh, good sources of information and also building bridges and uh, solidarity between other great content creators and uh, organizers, activists, and socialists, communists, etc. So I uh, have recently been listening to a lot of By Any Means Necessary, one of the greatest shows ever with uh, Sean Blackman and Jackie Lukeman. That's uh, from Radio Sputnik. You can tune in. It's in Washington, D.C. Or you can find them on Apple Podcasts, among many other places, By Any Means Necessary. Um, I recently listened last night to the episode titled U.S. Uh, US Hubris on Full Display as Biden Pressures Russia Over Ukraine. I also listened to the uh, episode titled Joe Biden's Chances of Re-Election Wayne Amid Executive Power Struggles uh, and a few other episodes from them recently. I checked out the uh I think I talked about this on my last one, but anyways, I I listened to an autopsy on liberal feminism and American Islamophobia with Abby Martin from The Empire Files and Professor Deepa Kumar. Uh, I also recently checked out This Is Hell, episode titled Toxic Air and America's Sacrifice Zones, Coups and Counter-Revolutions in Sudan, the Futilitarian Condition, The Path of the East African Crude Oil Pipeline, and Black and Native Lives in U.S. History. Um, I also recently checked out a few Red Nation podcast episodes, especially the one that uh, they put out as a preview the other day, uh, titled Nick Estes in Conversation with Jorge Arisa. Um, I believe that Jorge is a, uh, I can't remember where, but he is from a country in South America. He is indigenous, and I believe he is an, a uh, climate justice organizer. 
uh, who's pushing for more material, more popular power controlled means by which to affect the climate crisis. Um, yeah, I listen to a few things, um, Usually on a day-to-day basis, I'm listening to a podcast. Um, I also read a lot. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I have a job that, like, I don't really do anything at. I sell cigarettes out of a drive through most of the time. So I literally can just sit there and wait for customers to show up. So I just read. Um, and then on top of that, I also really like to watch YouTube videos that explain things or go over... Uh, you know, analyses of important events and stuff. For example, my homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynez does Unmasking Imperialism that you can uh, find on YouTube. And uh, that's a really, really great show. Uh, I love People's Dispatch, The People's Forum, The Marxist Project, uh, Hakim. Hakim, I really would like to have a conversation with. He seems like a very down-to-earth person, and I really do... Uh, want to kind of build some kind of relationship with him. So, Hakeem, if you end up hearing this or anybody who listens to this likes him, send him this because I'd love to do an episode with him. Um, i also love to do an episode with uh, the folks from Rev Left Radio. And I also might even hopefully soon be doing an episode with Luna Oi. I'm still waiting for her to reach back out, but it is, you know that time of the year for a lot of folks around the world where things get hard, things get cold, and money gets tight, time gets short, and the mind becomes strained, so I would imagine that for whatever reason, folks don't respond, they have a good reason, Um, because as someone who forgets literally everything all the time, I can understand. But anyway, so those are some of the content creators I've been checking out, and I think that you should check out, because some of the conversations that they've been having have been really incredible. And I think what is good about a lot of the shows that I listen to is they have a great balance. And I'm sure there's more shows that I don't know of that do a very similar thing. But, you know, I'm, I'm very... I just want to praise these folks who, who do these great shows because they do a fantastic job of not only having an analysis of events that are going on, you know what I mean? Like, for example, what's going on in Ethiopia, Breakthrough News, and uh, Eugene from, uh, what's the podcast's name? I have, an, I have him on Twitter, and I can't think of the name of the podcast, so I really do apologize, Eugene. But over at Breakthrough News, they're in Ethiopia right now. They're covering what's going on with the TPLF, with the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front, and how they're trying to seize power from the government that is in place now. And how the TPLF is being, uh, you know, propped up by the U.S. as this uh, popular people's group. Even though the TPLF was in power for 27 years consistently and proved quite clearly to the people of the area that they had no intention whatsoever of providing for the masses. Anyways, uh, they also do a great job of covering historical events. You know, someone like... uh, the folks over at Guerrilla History. They do a fantastic job of going over, uh, you know, incredibly important moments in time and historical processes that have happened. For example, they just did uh, an episode on Dien Ben Phu with Comrade Luna. So that was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, there's also uh, 
a tie-in, though. And every single one of the shows that I listen to, I think, makes an attempt and does a great job to do so to kind of put all of this together and then do an overall analysis. To be able to give coverage of a historical event that doesn't just seem like, oh, this is a thing that happened and now we don't really pay attention uh, or think about it or do anything about it. So don't worry, just here's the dates, you know. And they don't go over, you know, things happening in the world like the news does, like CNN or Fox as like a, a ticker, you know, how it's just going to go through every single news story with very little explanation. But really, um, you know, these these companies like CNN, like MSNBC, like all these other mainstream news sources, they're all owned by six networks. So at the end of the day, the majority of them, what they actually do, <clears throat> excuse me, is they get bite-sized pieces, but in those bite-sized pieces of the news story, they give you a particular position and bias to work with. The, the words that they use, the pictures that they show, the tone that they, you know, enunciate in, all of that, the back, my homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynez, we did an episode together with uh, Comrade, um, oh, my apologies, Comrade, I can't, uh, Mercedes, uh, and uh, we talked about how, like, for example, the NYPD, the U.S. military, and other organizations use this, like, action movie background noise for commercials about, you know, joining the army to be a drone instructor to make it seem like you're some kind of, like, patriotic hero. You know, they got that background music. They're trying to convey a message. So, even though it might seem, oh, these news sources are unbiased, they're just going through. We all know they're all biased. And not for nothing, CNN versus Fox, the only difference in the bias there is really what part of the ruling class they're interested in seeing uh, benefit. Whereas, for example, organizations like MSNBC and CNN are supposedly, you know, uh, less biased than Fox News or directed more at quote-unquote the people, but it's quite clear that all of these news sources have one intention and one intention only, and that is making sure that the stories that the ruling class wants covered get covered the way the ruling class wants them covered, period, end of story. So what seems to be happening all over the world is... uh, you know, quite overwhelming. There's a lot going on. Um, when you uh, have the time on a Friday, you should check out Give the People What They Want with Zoe PC, Prashant, both from People's Dispatch, and VJ Prashad over at uh, Globetrotter. You should really give them a listen because they are able to go through these news coverage stories, uh, what they call, you know, people's news, movement news, and do it in a way that is on the ground, that is grassroots, that is factual, that is, you know, based in a materialist understanding of the situation we find ourselves in as exploited and oppressed people. But on top of that, they still don't necessarily go into a full length analysis about how the people need to, you know, take hand, take control of the situation and build a socialist revolution. They might not say it in so many words, but they're giving you all of the uh, current events that are happening to show you that people can take control of their communities. People can take control. 
of their destinies. So maybe we can have a socialist revolution, huh? Now, there's things happening, especially right now, in the Horn of Africa, as we were discussing, in Ethiopia and Eritrea. The United States, of course, is involving itself in ways that it should not, as countries like China make very, very clear uh, it is no one's right outside of the people of Ethiopia or Eritrea to be involving themselves in the happenings of Ethiopia and Eritrea. We also have the continued oppression of Palestinian folks in Palestine by the Israeli settler colonial state. Um, recently, some news stories broke of uh, more Palestinian children being killed by IDF soldiers. We also recently, if you were um, in the loop, hearing recently about the NSO group coming out of Israel that developed the Pegasus, uh, I don't know if you'd call it an app or spyware, um, I would call it more spyware, which has been linked to the hacking and information stealing of uh, countless activists and organizers, not just in Palestine, but actually in South Africa, in the United States, in uh, Yemen and other places. There are people who are finding out that their phone has been hacked by this spyware. And the way that it happens is actually quite crazy. You don't have to download an app. You don't have to click on a link. You don't have to do anything. They can just send you a text message. And the way that that code is written is it's on the back end of that text message. So you don't even get any kind of, you know, notification as to the fact that that, you know, virus is there. And it begins to be able to access your information. It can see your pictures. It can see what's on your phone screen. It can read your text messages. Uh, There was also recently a group, uh, they were talking about this on Tech for the People on By Any Means Necessary. One of the organizations that uh, either is buying or has bought that company, Tile, um, they recently... I think in 2019, they said, 2019 or 2009, I can't remember, but they were found guilty of having sold information about who uh, was attending mosque, who had downloaded a Quran app to the fucking Pentagon. 33 million people's information was stolen and sent to the Pentagon uh, by one of the organizations that may or may not at this moment own the little tile things that you put on your phone so that you can find out where it is. But there was another uh, big break, Life360, which is this app that, you know, usually parents will use to keep contact with their children. It allows you to see how much charge a person's phone has. It allows you to see how quickly they are moving, and it allows you to pinpoint with some serious accuracy exactly where they are. Uh, This company is found to have sold Actually, this is where the 33 million number comes from. So I don't know how many uh, folks who uh, were attending mosque and who had that Quran app. I don't actually know the number, how many people's information was sold to the Pentagon. 33 million people's information was sold by Life360 to data mining companies, one of whom is also the corporation who sold that information to the Pentagon. So as you can tell, these folks... 
uh, you know, it's not just random organizations. It's not just people who have no affiliation to one another. They are connected to one another. They have trade deals. They sell information to each other. Uh, They have a class collaboration unlike any other. Uh, Also, um, what seems to be happening in the region is uh, in, uh, for example, in Pakistan, you just had a huge student-led organization which is uh, fighting for uh, better university coverage, better privileges for students, and other kind of benefits that these folks who uh, are going to school and are of school age, um, because it doesn't just uh, circle around the needs of university students, but university age students and the issues that they face in Pakistan. Um, And this is semi-important because if you know anything about the region, when the United States recently, quote-unquote, left Afghanistan, they sold most of their contracts uh, over to Pakistan, meaning that a lot of our drones are now just, instead of being in Afghanistan bases, they're in Pakistan bases, which means that if we want to bomb Afghanistan, we can do so right next door. Um, Also going on in the region, we see the continuation of the oppression of Syrians, by Israel and other countries like Turkey. We see the continued repression of Rojava and the Kurds by Turkey and by other reactionary groups in the area. Now, I don't know much about Rojava. I would love to have my homie Jared on here sometime to talk about it because holy shit, are they smart. But um, maybe maybe one day, because I, I really don't know much about it, but the situation there seems as if uh, different groups are really trying to, you know, different people groups, not different governments, but a lot of different people groups in the area seem to be uh, waging for control. And so sometimes it's hard amidst all of the propaganda and all the misinformation to really parse all of that out. So I try to not speak too heavily on anything without really having a, a clear and conscious understanding. But anyways... Also happening in the region is uh, continued repression of Iran by the United States and the United Nations through sanctions and other means, uh, which the Iranian government, who, although, you know, a lot of folks want to say, okay, the Iranian government, they're weird, right? Because they're, I mean, to some extent, they're a popular government. Uh, they, They really do get a lot of mass support. For example, their main oil company, Hezbollah. Um, that uh, company recently, against uh, you know UN and US-based uh, sanctions and such, uh, went ahead and delivered oil to the struggling Venezuelan people who continue to see themselves and their lives threatened by these sanction regimes, which the U.S. is perpetrating as some kind of legal trade war, when in fact what sanctions actually are, like here, let me break it down. See, the United States unilaterally, unilaterally, which means the United States is putting on these sanctions of its own accord without any mission or intention by the United Nations to support them, and actually against the U.N. Charter. It is illegal for countries to be uh, levying 
uh, unilateral sanctions as the U.S. is. But as we know, the United Nations is just a table for imperialist countries to meet at. This is why we need more popular international organizations. We need more proletarian organizations like the first and third international. Fuck the second international. Fuck Kautsky. Um, Anyways, sanctions are when the U.S. government puts basically an economic hit on lead government officials within different, uh, you know, countries. So, for example, they'll put a sanction against Daniel Ortega. So that means that Daniel Ortega, the president of the Nicaraguan people of the Sandinista Revolution, who is in charge of many, many things, cannot sign legislation that involves any kind of economic trade, can't, you know, participate in any deals whatsoever in exports and imports, because upon doing so, that trade will be uh, basically fined. So they have to find different ways to process these deals. They have to find different third parties to, you know, get stuff imported and exported. And so this is why Alex Saab, who was recently illegally captured, kidnapped, just like What's-His-Face from the WikiLinks. But in this way, more than just passing on information, Alex Saab was basically the lawyer, basically the contracted person who was meant to sign deals for countries in Venezuela, or for the country Venezuela. Meant to do this so that uh, Nicolas Maduro and his administration, who is also facing sanctions by the United States, does not have to be dealing with the economic inequality and uh, uh, exploitation that they have been for so long. They finally found a way in which to try to figure this out through Alex Saab, a third party. And what does the United States do? They illegally seize him. They capture him like a prisoner of war. And they bring him back to the United States. Now, many groups like Troika Collective and the PSL have spoken extensively about this. So I would uh, ask that you go also listen to the episode with, um, I want to say, East is the Podcast, where the Venezuela analysis uh, comrade comes on to speak about this event um, and what has been going on in Venezuela before and after. So anyways, these sanctions, what they do is they force government officials to be incapable of doing their job. So in a country like Nicaragua or Venezuela, where they have a revolution, where the people take power and control into their own hands, where they have popular elections, where over 85% of the population participates in the election, where over 70% of the electoral ballots are cast in favor of the socialist governments. In these countries, then, those socialist governments are forced to be put under sanction regimes. So then when the people themselves finally take power, they're not able to use that power or they have to find different means to take control of that power once again because the United States wants to kill socialists. The United States wants to kill the Nicaraguans, the Venezuelans, the Bolivians, the Cubans. And if they say that they don't, if they say their heart is with the Cuban people, with the Venezuelan people, with the Bolivian people, then let me remind you who it is who is going to be harmed when food stores don't have food because Venezuela doesn't have a uh, 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 party to sell its oil to. It's oil, which is its mainstay for its economy. 
Uh, It is the people that hurt in Iran. Over 100,000 people who have HIV AIDS who haven't been able to get proper medication in over eight years because of the sanctions that the United States government has placed on the Iranian government. It is the people who suffer. So when the United States dares, dares to say that it stands with the people of Cuba, that it stands with the people of, you know, whatever country, it lies. Anyway, so basically, there's a lot of things going on. If you look over in uh, Asia right now, we see a lot of posturing by the U.S. government, by different, uh, you know, outside forces trying to take control of the resources, the land, and the labor force within the area, as well as the markets. You have countries uh, like uh, South Korea, uh, which has been... U.S. backed and led, not just backed, but led since, uh, you know, prior to the Korean War. You have uh, folks, for example, like in Taiwan, in places like the Philippines, in places like um, all throughout the region. You have the reactionary forces of different countries being perpetrated as these liberatory forces, as these, you know, people fighting back against these authoritarian dictatorships. And yet, if you know the history of Taiwan, you know the Dalai Lama controlled that entire nation, or Tibet is what I'm thinking of, but similar things are happening in Taiwan. But what I'm talking about right now happened in Tibet. The Dalai Lama had a feudal, uh, you know, lordship in Tibet, where he owned slaves and serfs and women and children, where he oppressed and exploited through old, old means, which now are somehow, you know, forgotten and and, and lost and, and, and they need to be resurrected. And now you see all these free Tibet signs popping up all over the place. It's U.S. propaganda. It's U.S. imperialism. It's U.S. occupation and invasion. It is absolute domination by the U.S. and other imperialist powers, which leads to these reactionary forces trying to take power back from either democratically elected governments, socialist governments, or just simply non-reactionary governments. Because, you know, although there are governments across the world which... I don't, you know, necessarily agree with their ideology. I don't necessarily agree with the way in which they they operate their their government. That is up for me to learn how to do here in the United States. That is up for me to take control of here in the United States. And I do not spend my time going after these countries because you know what? The U.S., the United Nations, and the capitalist system are already dogpiling them. So if the most important thing that you can do is hop on a podcast or a show and talk about why China isn't socialist, why this or that country isn't really socialist, why the USSR wasn't really communist, etc., you need to spend so much more time actually organizing. You need to be learning history in a way that is emancipatory, not negative.
We don't need to just sit here and say all the things that were wrong with these different organizations, these different countries, these different communist parties. Each and every one of us can read a history book and find that out ourselves. But if we're simply reading that history book to have trivial knowledge about why we don't like China, to me, all that that really becomes is yet another echoey voice calling China an authoritarian dictatorship, which they are not. And it doesn't matter if you have the nuance and the explanation as to why that's not what you're saying. Nobody listens. They cut up your audio where you say, I'm against China or I disagree with China here. And they just put it out and say, even the leftists are against China. Even the socialists are against China. So stop it. You don't like China? Stop talking about them. Learn from their mistakes. Do better here. Join a fucking organization. I don't want to hear it anymore. Because what it's leading to is war. You know, they talk about it as a culture war. They talk about it as a trade war. They talk about it as, you know, uh, 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 practice runs throughout the South China Sea. Throughout their aerial space. But what are they practicing for, huh? What are they warring in the culture and with the trade deals for, huh? Contradictions exist between the United States and China, and therefore they will lead to a point of antagonism. If you yourself want to be a part of the build-up force that brings us to World War III, have at it. But you can go fuck yourself if you think that I give a shit about anything you say or anything that you want to do, because that's reactionary as fuck. We are not here to react to the things that other governments do that we dislike. We are here to learn from them and we are here to build. Speaking of practice runs, you also have the United States running fucking practice runs in Russia, uh, in the Black Sea area. 30 nuclear armed submarine practice runs were had in the last 30 days, including aerial practice runs. Ukraine also has 125,000 soldiers on the border with um, Russia and I can't think of the region, but this is not because the Russian government is an authoritarian regime. Now, Putin, not for nothing, he's not my favorite, right? But at the end of the day, this is not an authoritarian regime that's trying to take over the Ukraine like they say they are every five fucking years. The Kiev government, which the U.S. put up, is a fucking neo-Nazi reactionary government. And they have 125,000 soldiers armed and you know mobilized at the border with Russia. Russia has 70,000. Because what Russia is trying to do is de-escalate. That's why he's having a meeting with President Joe Biden. That's why he's having discussions with the Ukrainian government. As I believe some officials are within the Putin administration. But yet what the U.S. does is it chooses to take these tidbits and inflame them. Because upon doing so, it gives them the reasoning, the context... To go in and do their pleasing. To go in and invade. To go in and take over their markets. To go in and kill people. Because that's what will happen. Even if you don't like the Russian government. Even if you can see all the things that are wrong with the Putin administration. You know what? People do not deserve to, to die. My friends who are in the military who I try to get out do not deserve to die. 
The people of Russia, the people of the Ukraine, the people of the area do not deserve to die. That is what, uh, uh, for example, Deepa Kumar was speaking about on that uh, Empire Files when she's talking about Afghanistan. You know, you prop up this idea of feminism right before we invade a country and kill over a million people. And then when we step out of that country, you bring up the idea of feminism again. That is hypocrisy. It is imperialism. And it is propaganda, which is confusing the masses of people. And we have to have a clear analysis of this. We cannot go around just simply saying, well, you know, the Russian government does a lot of fucked up things to LGBTQ plus people. And so we in the United States should invade because the United States absolutely does nothing against LGBTQ plus people here in the United States. If we actually want the things in Russia to get better, we should be joining in hand and in voice with the Russian proletariat. We should be building connections with the Russian people. We should be reaching out to popular Russian organizations who are trying to bring back socialism, who are trying to fight against the uh, anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment within the Russian uh, 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 environment. Because that is not one person's issue. That is not one government's problem. That is the people's issue. And if we want to support them, then we have to support the people. And if we want to support the people, then we cannot ever, ever support international warfare. Because as we know clearly from World Wars One and Two, as we know clearly from the Spanish-American War, from the Chinese uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Opium War, from the uh, war in the Middle East time and time again, whether it be the Gulf War, whether it be the, Br- the British invading, whether it be the French invading, whether it be the Belgians invading, whether it be the Americans invading. We know clearly from the Korean War, from the Vietnam War. We know clearly from Iraq, Afghanistan, Somalia, Syria, all of these wars which we have gone into and millions of people have died from, we know that it is the working class and the working class only who suffers because of these imperialist wars. It is the working class who in 1914 stood up and went to the Congress of the Second International and demanded that they fight the buildup of the First World War, demanded that they fight for an end to imperialist aggression. And what does the Second International do? What does the German Social Democratic Party do? What does Kautsky do? What do the reactionaries, the revisionists, and the opportunists within these communist parties do? They decide that it is in fact time for the people to fight for the fatherland. The who? Whose fatherland is it? The same fatherland that less than two years prior than that Kautsky was writing was the most oppressive regime in the area, was the most advanced capitalist society, was oppressing the most and exploiting the most in the region. And then two years later, he says, we have to fight for this country. This is what some of you patriotic fools sound like. This is what some of you fuckers talking about China is an authoritarian dictatorship sound like. This is what you who constantly just talk about all the failures that the Soviet Union came into sound like. You are a reactionary. You are an opportunist and you must learn from your mistakes. If you won't, I will continue teaching you because I've made those mistakes myself and I have chosen to learn from them myself. I am no better than anyone, but I've made choices that previously I did not make. 
which have led me to learn new things, which have led me to understand the world differently, which have led me to really have a contextual understanding of how life has developed and how the world has come to be as it is in a true materialist way that I never really thought anyone could grasp. And so upon doing so, I feel that, yes, I have some authority to speak on these things because I have dedicated the time to not only de-educating myself, but also re-educating myself. And I've done it mostly alone. Now, there have been incredible people who have helped me along the way, but this is why organizations are necessary because, one, I have still made mistakes. I still have reactionary elements. I still have opportunist elements. I still have revisionist elements. I still have things I need to learn. But if I were in an organization, I would not be having to learn them alone. If you're trying to radicalize yourself, if you're trying to educate yourself, join a fucking reading group. Join join my reading group. Join an organization. Do something. Don't just sit around and read theory. You're not cool because you have a communist flag in your room. I'm not cool because I have a fucking podcast. This podcast is supposed to be a part of a movement. This podcast is supposed to be part of a revolution. And so if this is what takes me the next step forward to be who I need to be when I have to take the next opportunity to develop further towards that revolution and my participation in it, so be it. But as it stands, a podcast is not enough. Reading theory is not enough. Join a revolutionary organization today, now, as soon as possible. Whichever there is, join it organize, participate, learn, grow, and if need be, separate and join another. That is our lot in life. We are organizers. And if we are not, then we must be. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you are at least conscious enough to know what is wrong. If you are conscious and you do not act, you are a hypocrite. If you are conscious and you do not act, you are an opportunist. And you're a fool, a very selfish one but a fool nonetheless. There's not a single person on this planet who has a better excuse or a better reason as to why they can't organize than the masses of people who have organized and built socialist revolutions. Look at the people of Russia prior to their revolution. A 90% illiterate country full of peasants, full of farmers, full of absolutely exploited people. Look at a country like Cuba. The United States invaded after the Spanish-American War, after the Spanish had controlled Cuba for a hundred plus years. The United States invades with their capital, with their military bases, with their um, uh, casinos, with their sex trade rings, and destroys the Cuban people turns Cuba into its brothel. The Cubans couldn't read. The Cubans couldn't write. The Cubans didn't know how to run a government. The Cubans had no knowledge of, you know, any kind of what we would consider, you know, technical knowledge about how to run a fucking government. Could you imagine? Well, you better because that's what it's going to be like pretty soon. Because we're going to do that. We're going to build it. And we're going to learn from the Cubans. We're going to learn from the Russians. We're going to learn from the Nicaraguans and the Sandinistas. We're going to learn from 
the Venezuelans and the Bolivarians. We're going to learn from the folks who have come before us. Think about that. Think about the fact that right now, okay, you might have a very, very good reason as to why you can't organize. My reason is capitalism requires that I have to work from nine to six every single day. Otherwise, I can't afford rent, my food, my car to get here, etc. However, was that not true for the Russians? Was that not true for the workers in Petrograd and St. Petersburg? Is that not true for the workers in La Paz and Cochabamba right now? Is that not true for the workers across the world who are building their socialist revolutions today? And do you think, do you think if any of these people were to sit around and say, I can't read or, well, I have to work. Do you think then the better, the better thing for them to do is to just go, oh, okay, well then we'll just wait until it's a better time. No. So what do they do? They fucking organize. They find ways. Because here's the thing. Sure, is it really hard to expect I, Josh, in my area, do any kind of real true revolutionary work on my own? A hundred percent. But if there's 30 of us, I might not even have to do something every single day. Because that is something that I've learned from the few opportunities I've had to organize. You know, I did some agitational propaganda organizing on Facebook during the pandemic. I did some mutual aid networking. I've done some, you know, food drop-offs and I do a community fridge right now. I help with a tenant organization. And although I literally cannot do everything I want because I literally do not have the time, I have learned so much in the small opportunities and uh, amount of time that I've had to organize that I think that literally no one, absolutely fucking no one, has a true serious excuse as to why they cannot be a rank and file member of a revolutionary organization wherever they are. And if one doesn't exist, this does not mean that it will never exist. It does not mean that you cannot build it. It does not mean that other people won't build it. And it definitely does not mean that there isn't anything for you to do. Now, I am a Marxist, meaning that I believe that we must organize the masses of the proletariat into a conscious mass organization intent on revolution, not reforms. We can do things along the way as a revolutionary body of power because that's the, that's the whole thing is the reason why Marxists want to organize the party. And also, let's not think about the party as just like the Democrats. Think about the party as a mass organization. Like you have, you know, women, you have men, you have LGBTQ plus folks, you have black folks, you have migrant workers, you have, you know, disabled people all working within the same organization for different purposes that are all oriented on the same class struggle. But upon organizing yourselves into that mass organ of power, you can each support yourself directly and have backup constantly. You can learn from different organizations doing different work. 
You can learn from different people who come from different backgrounds, who have different experiences and different knowledge. You can read theory that you've never heard of before and have someone to talk to about it. And then you both can go down the street and have a demonstration with more than just 15 people from your fucking, you know, friend group. We need mass organizations. We need to be going into communities and be speaking with people. We need to be propagandizing and holding mass meetings. I know with the pandemic and everything that's going on that it's very difficult. It's very scary as well. But for the millions of exploited and oppressed people here in the United States, we must know that this pandemic is just yet another fucking part of their lives. The U.S. government made that so. That is not our fault. And I will not stand for people continuously just fucking battering in to, um, you know, for example, I think that one of the most annoying things right now is just time and time again talking about the the stupid or ignorant, you know, people who, and I'm using those words as they're used to me, I'm going to nullify that those words are, are clear contextualization of why people aren't getting vaccines. People don't get vaccines uh, uh, for many different reasons, but not because they're stupid or, you know, necessarily ignorant. There's a plenty of reasons. And I want to talk about the fact that the real person that, you know, we want folks to, I'm, let me clarify. I'm pro vaccine. Go get your fucking vaccine. If you're not gonna, I don't really care because not for nothing, I'm going to go talk to somebody else now. Um, But anyways, the folks that we want to be mad about, the folks that we want to be, you know, directing all of our energy toward is not the masses of people who are taken advantage of by propaganda, by, uh, you know, medical malpractice, by um, misinformation. We want to go after the people who are doing the malpractice, who are spreading the misinformation, who are perpetuating this ignorance. That is who we want to be attacking. That is who we want to be going after. If your main qualm is with your local Trump supporter, you know, I I get it because fuck them. They're probably a fucking racist piece of shit asshole who has possibly done some really awful things to people. But if you, like, straight up, here's, here's a little situation that could happen in Minecraft as a satire. Let's say you kill them. What does it change? Let's say you convince them instead to be a socialist. What more could change then? And I'm not saying that that's your goal. Fuck Trump supporters. Not for nothing. If more Trump supporters were to cease to exist, I personally believe that the world may be a safer place. I think that that is a quite objective statement to make. However, again, our qualms are not with the people. Our qualms are with the oppressors. So sure, shit on your local, you know, anti-vaxxers. I, uh, right, right by my job, right on my, the same road that my job's on. 
um, there's been a bunch of fucking 60-year-old people uh, holding signs against the mandate, which, I mean, there hasn't been a vaccine mandate, so... Anyways, um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they're out there protesting that the schools want kids to get vaccines and teachers too. Um, actually, real quick, and then I'll continue on this and then I'll have to close. But um, in my local area, we had an entire maternity ward quit because they didn't want to get their vaccine. So they had to close the maternity ward, which means that to get to a hospital that has a maternity ward, you either have to drive a half an hour or an hour in any direct, like wherever you are, there's one hospital about a half an hour away from the majority of people. And there's another hospital about uh, an hour. So anyways, those people are really stupid and not for nothing. If only those were the folks that were getting COVID and passing away, I feel that um, we could have gotten a control on this situation much quicker. Uh, but that's not what not what's happening. So anyways, my whole point just being that like, I, it's so fun, you know, to shit on these people, and to just talk about what fucking stupid assholes they are. It's not getting us anywhere. And it's not even getting us anywhere with them. And what it's leading to is just this continued idea that, for example, um, folks who live in rural areas are stupid. And that is a continued idea, which even Marx and Engels talked about when they said that they needed to end the separation between town or uh, through yeah town and country. Because what they were saying is you have a city that is largely supported by the exploitative labor that happens in these rural areas. And so because of that, you have this separation between these two regions in society. One region where people have, you know, theaters and grocery stores and jobs and albeit shitty jobs and shitty housing, housing, and also hospitals. They have electricity they have you know protests and they have uh hospitals and churches and all these different things that if you go out into the country you don't have because the country is the part of the area that is taken advantage of to support the city so you know these ideas that we're just pushing out that all these you know, fucking stupid Trump supporters, da da da. Is it true? Yeah. But holy shit, can we be doing so much more if we're actually going after the people who are creating these fucking assholes? Like, I don't know if we go after the ruling class themselves who allows these ideas to be perpetuated on social media, who allows misinformation to be spread, and who allows for things like the recent Unite the Right rally or, uh, you know, all these events that Sean and uh, the gentleman from One People's Project, I can't remember his name, shout out them, um, talked about when they said that there was this uh, uh, neo-Nazi group going around in Washington holding a protest the other day. Um, 
they hopped out of a box truck. They've done it before. Um, they got like U-Haul trucks and they just like kind of pop up. It's like a flash mob type of thing. And then they just disappear. And apparently it happened in Philadelphia recently. And I guess in Philadelphia, they like stopped them because it's illegal to be driving around in the back of one of those trucks. And they like, I guess must, must've let them go. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my objective point is that these groups exist all over the place and they are being created. They're not just naturally developing of nothing. Capitalism is creating the contradictions and then people and organizations are taking advantage of those contradictions. The ruling class is allowing them to do so. And they are developing to gr into groups like the Proud Boys. They developed into groups like the KKK. And so in the United States, a country founded on racism, on genocide, on segregation, on exploitation and oppression, a country whose foundational role in the world is the oppression of black, brown, and indigenous people, it's quite clear, to me at least, that to attack anything other than the system and the uh, ruling class itself is a distraction, is an opportunity for the uh, oppressors to get away. Who's paying attention to the Ghislaine Maxwell trial right now? Donald Trump met a 14-year-old girl because of Jeffrey Epstein, and it's documented as truthful evidence. It was accepted as evidence. The Jeffrey uh, Epstein's black book was accepted as evidence. You also got Prince Andrew. You got, um, oh shit, who the fuck else? Bill Gates. Fucking so many people. But is there a force that when that jury decides that these people are not guilty, when this consistently keeps being hidden by the media, and by the people who are going to not get, uh, not be facing any consequences, is there a force of people capable of making them face consequences? If there isn't, then we need to be working on that right now. And that's the last thing I want to say before I go and finish up because, so the midterm elections are coming up. The Republicans are going to win the House. They're going to take the Senate. Then the attack on things like Roe v. Wade, the attack on transgender folks, the attack on black folks, the attack on education, the attack on the medical system, the attack on uh, workers, all of that will be pushed to its most intense uh, position. This is the only difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans are explicit. The Democrats are uh, as you know, I, I guess the best way to explain it would be exactly how Malcolm X explained it. The Democrats are foxes. They trick you. They pretend. They lie. The Republicans, those are wolves. They come right at you in a pack. They surround you and then they kill you. So what we are facing right now is an opportunity where the wolves, the killers, the KK, dude, we have QAnon Congress people right now. We have folks right now who are about like Josh Howley and others. Um, Kyle Rittenhouse got offered an internship. Y'all probably saw that. 
you got folks like Matt Gates. You got uh, what's her face, Majorie Taylor Green. Folks like that are going to be the heads of power. The fascist and uh, ridiculously reactionary and explicitly racist, xenophobic, uh, and and exploitative, you know, people within society now are not just going to be ideologically dominant within the society. But they are going to be physically, they are going to hold power. They are going to be in control of the economy. They're going to be in control of the military. They're going to be, and, and again, this is, the, this is the pendulum swing in the United States because we have a duopoly. We have a country that is based on the rule of one party that is split into two. As Julius Nereri says, in the United States, there is a one-party system, but in true American fashion, there is two of them. And that is the situation we find ourselves in. So coming with that, and on top of that, the 2024 election where someone like Trump, if and when he doesn't actually get arrested uh, for the you know, sex trafficking, um, he might become president again. He hasn't confirmed that he's running, but he did an interview where he basically was like, oh, things might happen a certain way that might lead to that, said some other, some other dumb shit. And then, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what position we're in right now. Um, and that's terrifying because at the end of the day, um, we have lulls, we have opportunities for organization, and then we have reaction periods. Um, with Kyle Rittenhouse and everything that's happening, we've consistently been in a reaction period, but now the reaction is going to take hold of the halls of power. And we have no oppositional party no organizations that seem to be able to get a, a good enough name. I mean, the PSL is the only one I can think of, or the Green Party, but neither one of those uh, uh, that I know of has the mass support that would be needed for something like this. Donald Trump has the mass support. The reactionaries have the mass support. That is the basis of the American society. And so therefore, we socialists, we organizers within the United States, we need to do something and we need to do something now. We need to get building. We need to be joining organizations, fucking propagandizing, talking to people and building a new fucking society from the ground up. Um, we have to take advantage of the positions of power that we can take. We have to take advantage of the knowledge that we can consume. We have to take advantage of the people within positions uh, in society that oftentimes would be considered, you know, whatever. We have to take advantage of... Uh, all of the contradictions within the world that exist naturally, and we have to build our revolution today. So let's do it. Thanks for listening, folks. Stay safe, stay revolutionary, and we'll see you next time.